G'day and welcome to the Noob Spiro podcast, the show where we interview spearfishing experts, authorities and characters from all around the world. To become a better Spiro, come and join our spearfishing community at noobspiro.com. G'day Noob Spiro community, uh, welcome back to our 101 series, I hope you guys are enjoying these new style of episodes. Today we're um, covering off a, a topic that's pretty close to Turbo's heart, it's Sigatera poisoning. He's recently undergone a severe bout um, of Sigatera poisoning and we, we, we talk all about that in this um, in this brief episode and we go through you know what is Sigatera poisoning, what are the symptoms, what areas of the world is Sigatera poisoning prevalent and um, you know what, what a person should do if they suspect that they have um, Sigatera poisoning, um, possible treatments for, for it and Turbo goes in depth about what that experience is like on a personal level and, um, and, and we, we talk about you know, some of the research that's around and we'll link up a lot of this stuff in the show notes. But without further ado, let's hook into Sigatera Poisoning 101 with Shrek and Turbo. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with Adreno Spearfishing Supplies. Adreno is one of the world's biggest and best spearfishing stores. You can visit Adreno online at spearfishing.com.au or in-store at their Brisbane and Sydney locations. First of all, guys, I just want to introduce the second daily to the studio. G'day, Ben. G'day, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> say hello to the Noob Spirit community. Hello. Can you say hello, Noob Spirit community? That's a Wednesday. <laughs> hello, Ben. How are you, buddy? Welcome to the studio. So, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Turbo. Thank you for having me, Turbo. <laughs> no, nah, absolute pleasure, mate. It's always good to get a fan in the studio. So. <laughs> is, it, is it working now? Yep, it's working. So, And we're working too, Ben. Mm. Mine's <laughs> not working properly. I've got Cigatera. <laughs> is, this, is this little thing coming out? Yeah, but we leave that. We leave it all. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> oh, is this thing coming out? Just leave it. No, no, don't touch it. Don't touch it. They say never work with kids and animals, and right now I'm working with both. <laughs> <laughs> So, Turbo, what is Cigatera poisoning and what are the symptoms? Yeah, okay. So, Cigatera is a fish-borne poisoning. It comes about from eating fish that, that's contaminated with cigatoxins. And the, the way that they get those cigatoxins is through a, a dinoflagellate that lives on the surface of coral and algae and soft corals. And um, it's found in tropical waters. And what actually happens is... Uh, herbivorous sort of smaller fish, they feed on those on those algaes and those corals. And what actually happens is the larger fish then then in turn come along and they prey upon those smaller fish, and they collect these toxins. And sort of as they eat more, they sort of bioaccumulate these toxins, and so they get sort of higher concentrations. And as time goes on. It can also it also biomagnifies up the food chain. So the further the further up the food chain you go, a lot of the times a lot more ciguatera toxins will be found um, in those fish. All right, cool. So like from what I got, just to break it down, real simple and old Shrek talk. It's like it's like a toxin that accumulates on a reef. Small fish eat it. Um, and it accumulates in their system. Uh, predatory fish eat them. They in turn get the um, toxin in them, it gets worse. And by the time we eat the fish that are carrying the cig, 
uh, it's highly toxic to us, and and that becomes an illness. Is that sort of the gist? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Cool. I just I like to. I'm a simpleton. I like simple things. So now that we've got a sort of a good overview of what ciguatera poisoning looks like, what areas of the world is ciguatera poisoning prevalent? So, like I said, it's a warm water sort of problem. So the the actual dinoflagellate uh, lives in in tropical environments. So, um, like it's pretty prevalent in Florida and the Bahamas, like all through the Caribbean. You know, like Cuba, Dominican Republic, Haiti, Puerto Rico, Leeward Islands. Um, and in the Pacific, it's all found in French Polynesia, the Philippines, Fiji, Samoa, Tonga, Vanuatu, Hawaii, the Cook Islands, Marshall Islands, a whole lot, northern Australia. So anywhere you've got tropical reefs, you, mm. you, you're pretty much going to, you know, get some sort of yeah. SIG problem. I don't know about Western Australia. They seem... They like, seem to avoid it over there. Yeah, they do. I, I don't think they have it. Same as South Africa. They don't have it either. But, so w- what sort of water temperature um, do, do they require? I mean, obviously, it's a, a coral reef, so... Like, what's that, 20 degrees Celsius plus? Yeah, I think so, yeah. I mean, we see it here in Brisbane as well. Like, But I sort of think that's more to do with uh, migrating fish, like your mackerels and stuff yeah. coming further south on the warm currents. Yep. And um, Or we also see it in our, um, in our coral trout, the bar cheek, mm, which mm. I would assume are coming down from sort of that um, Harvey Bay area as well. And last year, I remember there was a few guys down like central New South Wales coast um, and the Spanish mackerel, the king mackerel, sort of ranged that far during, you know, when the water warmers, when the warmer water's sort of travelling down that way and a, a number of spiros got caught out eating not even a large mackerel. No. And they all, they all ended up with ciguatera poisoning. So it's pretty widespread. Yeah, and one, one of the problems too is particularly um, – with the with the warm currents and and the migrating fish coming down the coast and the east east Australian current, um, guys are picking it up further south. But also, like when commercial fish is bought, I mean, there was a case I think in the late eighties where um, a lot of mackerel was shipped from the Harvey Bay area down mm. to Sydney in the fish markets there, and I think there was about sort of sixty or seventy people poisoned wow. in one batch of mackerel. And, and I know it's it's a particularly bad area for cigatoxins. Mm. Um, I know I had a mate there. I mean, he shot a, a, a big mackerel just shy of 40 kg and uh, he, he ate a little bit of that and, you know, he got cigatera poisoning or ciguatera poisoning really, really badly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we just sort of abbreviate everything here in Australia. We just call it cig. Oh, he's yeah. got the cig. <laughs> so, um, okay, so we've talked broadly about what cigatera poisoning is and you know, which areas of the world are kind of affected by it. What do what the symptoms look like if a person suspects they have ciguatera poisoning? Yeah, okay. So it's going to, uh, man, it's not much fun, but it, it sort of affects you in, in three um, three systems, right? So you, your digestive system goes first and um, pretty quickly, you know, it can be as quick as 20 minutes or an hour or a few hours, you, you're going to start to experience some nausea, some vomiting, you know, diarrhea, abdominal cramps, and they're pretty severe. Like it, it comes across pretty much as a really bad sort of food poisoning. Um, like then it, it can move on then into the cardiovascular system. So you, you're going to – people can potentially experience like a, a really low heart rate, um, 40 to 50 beats per minute, or elevated or, or an erratic heartbeat at sort of 100 to 200. And wow. um, they also pick up, you know, sort of reduced blood pressure in people, and that that's sort of short term. And then, and then, unfortunately, and this is where the fun begins, um, you sort of move on to the neurological system, and you, you're looking at headaches, um, fatigue, vertigo, fainting, um, 
an itching of the skin, temperature reversal. So that's a, that's a fun one. So cold things become hot and they actually burn the skin. You feel like you're burning. Sounds awesome. Oh, it's great. And then the uh, yeah, and then there's some really other bad things like you know visual hallucinations, audio hallucinations, um, you know pain in joints, muscle pain, muscular paralysis, convulsions, sweating. Painful urination, you know, you'd know all about that. And numbness, <laughs> tingling, pins and needles, like it's the list goes on. So, like, you've, you've got a bit of a personal story with Cigatera. I mean, currently you're suffering from the effects. Can you sort of share with listeners, you know, how you, you know, contracted Cigatera poisoning and, and what, what, what that experience has been like for you? <laughs> it's been a lot of fun, not. No, so I, I was just recently up in North Queensland, a uh, place called Lucinda, which, funnily enough, the Australian um, spearfishing titles were held uh, late last year up there, but I, I was sort of up there just on a recreational trip because I'm clearly not a comp diver. <laughs> but, but, yeah, no, we had a couple we – had, we had a few good days out on the reef, so we did some line fishing and we, we, we caught a bunch of coral trout and uh, a bunch of um, red-throated emperor you know, all good stuff. Um, we've got a camouflage cod in the in the boat as well. I st- I did a bit of diving up there, so like I, I shot a few coral trout, um, uh, red emperor. Uh, what else did I get? Put purple cod. Yeah, I got a couple of purple cod as well. Buffalo uh, imp. Yeah, I got a buffalo emperor as well. Yeah, so it was it was really good. Like it was all quality reef species in the box. Yeah, yeah. So we. They they all went on an ice slurry super quick. Yep. Um, we got back to back back home and we sort of dealt with the fish we processed it really quickly got it all bagged up got it frozen that night um the, the processing of the fish was really good mm. because i was heading back to brisbane um yeah my friend um he gave me all the fish yeah you know, bless him and uh I brought it all home and i took one bag out of the freezer uh two fillets in the bag from the same fish which probably was a mistake and yeah i ate them over consecutive nights mm. now so what what quantity of fish so just one fillet, and not even big. None of the fish we got were big fish, and this is what I want to like make clear: is there's this misconception out there that it's only big fish that get it. Now, yeah, because big fish have higher concentrations because they've spent more time on the reef and more time in those environments. They they do bioaccumulate more of the toxin in their mm. in their like liver and flesh and and whatever. However, none of these fish that we shot were big fish. None of them. They're all. All under four kilos. Maybe like bigger blokes are affected by big fish, <laughs> and because you're like fifty kilos running wet with a mouthful of concrete, like the little fish affected you. So, look, we can't we can't really draw maybe some big broad things from that. No, maybe maybe <laughs> not. But, I mean, you're not going to find sig in a bucket at the bottom of a bucket of KFC either. So, <laughs> anyway. Um, so yeah, so I, I I came home and in the first night I had I had one fillet of this fish. Now there's another mistake. We didn't mark our bags. Now, so there was there was no species written on the bags. No, no, I mean when you just when you've got a fairly sort of uniform box of fish, um, it wasn't much point. You know what I mean? Yeah. But in hindsight, there's a lot of point to it. I mean, I, I could have definitely gone. Yeah, it's that fish there. You know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in hindsight, I think. I mean, there was a there was a couple of um, parrot fish in the box as well. Now, after cooking the fish, in hindsight, it wasn't trout. It it, it sort of went tough. Yeah. And it definitely wasn't emperor. So I, I'm sort of my finger starting to point at this cod, this camouflage cod. You know. Okay. Um, but that that was a huge mistake not not to label the fish. So I ate, ate one fillet one night. No symptoms. The next night, I ate it again. 
and woke up the next morning and that's when I developed symptoms. Wow. So what I believe is I've poisoned myself over the course of two nights. Okay. I've topped myself up. Right. So what what were those symptoms and sort of walk us through that? Yeah, okay. So day one, I sort of got out of bed and I've kept a bit of a diary here. Got out of bed, really hard to get out of bed. No nausea, no vomiting. I mean, I think because I took two smaller doses, I I sort of didn't get that side of it. So I sort of, uh, yeah, went to, yeah, iron my shirts for work and I was standing there and just the fatigue in my legs and my hips, like I just thought, shit, I can't even stand up. Like I was just so exhausted. So I sat down and I sort of shook it off and went, ah, whatever, like it's just probably a bit of a flu coming on. Mm. Had another, another go at it and I just got even more fatigued and I was, I had to sit down. Like, I literally had to sit down. I called work and said, "Look, I don't know what's wrong, but yeah, yeah I just can't come in today." Yep. And um. And they were, what did they say? Typical, typical turbo sicky. <laughs> he going diving, eh? <laughs> I said. I said they were just like, "Wow!" Like our number one employee, employee of the year, has gone down. What's the world coming? To? <laughs> what are we going to do with that turbo, the janitor? <laughs> Somebody check Willie Weather. What's going on? Oh yeah, flat. No, no. But they. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but they, uh, so yeah, then I didn't think much of it. So then I went and I got something cold out of the fridge and just a severe pain, um, like from when, or pain, it was just like hot. Like I I got some some milk or whatever out of the fridge and it was, it was hot to the touch, like pins and needles and hot. Mm. And that's when like alarm bells started ringing. I was like, yep, I've heard of this before. I know what this is. And that's when I sort of knew, and then I, then I sort of started thinking. Like when I first got out, of, when I first was waking up, my skin felt itchy, like it was sunburn, like I'd had severe sunburn. Yep. And I started to put those three things together, and then I realised, yeah, you know, this is what it is. So. Okay. What? Well, okay. So what? What? What were some of the other severe symptoms? Because I remember you. Yeah. So I, over the course of the coming days, like for me, really, really badly, it's just is the fatigue. Like, um, I'm, I'm not so bad. Like I can, I've got the like mental energy and upper body and upper body energy. Like I'm not tired. I'm not falling asleep, but I, I, to walk from one end of the house to the other, I've got to then sit down. So I've got to run a marathon, oh, wow. which is just like, oh, it's an absolute killer. Like you just cannot believe how frustrating that is. Like, okay. So since the onset, uh, how long have you been experiencing symptoms? So I am only in my fifth day, fifth or sixth day, I think. Oh, no, maybe seventh, yeah. So around that, that one week mark. And so how long do people sort of experience ciguatera poisoning for? And and that's this this is the scary thing. Like depending on your dosage and, um, <laughs> and the individual, it can be anywhere from a week, it can be a month, it can be six months. People are going through it for years. And one of the scary things is when you do some research and uh, and people tell their stories, there's people that have had it for 20 years. Wow. And uh, they're still suffering from it. Chronic fatigue seems to last a long time. And a lot of the neurological problems like the, the pins and needles and the reversal of hot and cold is just is something that hangs around. And what people find is when they eat seafood, it shows up again. Even cold water fish, it wow. seems to rear its head again. And so people will be 20 years into this. They'll think they'll be over it. They'll have some fish or some shellfish. Bang, it's it's right there. Wow. And there's – and like not only does that happen, but they can't – you don't get an immunity to it. Mm. So, you know, like it's not like, you know, you have it once and then boom, you're over it, you get over it and that's it. It's, it's not like that at all. Recurring symptoms like, like follow-up poisoning seems to be a lot worse. Oh, wow. Okay, so 
like what what what's um what's some common misdiagnoses for for you know for cigarette poisoning? Because I'd imagine like you might go and doctors probably aren't going to see this a lot in specific areas. So what are they often mistakenly diagnosed it as? Yeah, well, unfortunately, it is misdiagnosed a lot, like everywhere. And um, the fact that the fish can come in from tropical areas into sort of temperate climates, that the the fish can be, you know, imported and sold in these areas means that there are people out of tropical areas being poisoned. So, therefore, it's not a logical conclusion for doctors to come to. Mm. So... Yeah, so what, what happens there, like um, misdiagnosis can range from e- everything. For, for a long time, you know, people were treated as a bit crazy, like, you know, y- your symptoms are, you know... Y- Psychosomatic. Exactly, yeah. yeah. That's the word. Thanks, buddy. It's all in your head. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and that happens a lot, you know. The other ones are just food poisoning. I mean, I read this story of one guy. He got something like a friend gave him a groper uh, somewhere in Florida, I think it was, and... Um, uh, they, they gave him a groper, and it was, the thing was eighty pound. Just, just, just fillets. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't think he knew about cigarette. But he didn't think to ask the size of the fish. Yeah. So he got the fish, and um, he's eaten it. He's come down with the symptoms. He's gone. He's gone to the hospital. They've diagnosed it as something else. I, I forget what it was. I think just maybe food poisoning. Sent him home. He's eaten the fish again the second night. Oh, oh no! Topped himself up. Anyway, so th- this guy got really, really ill, but he sent the fish off uh, diag- to be diagnosed, like to, to see what the levels of SIG were in this, this fish. Yep. It was some of the highest I've ever seen. I think it was the highest recorded concentration of cigatoxin in fish flesh oh, wow. that's ever been seen. And this guy had, had a second helping, like, <laughs> I really feel sorry for the guy, you know. Oh, no. But yeah, I guess like the symptoms, you know, they could be like any sort of fever. Mm. So any any like Ross River or Dengue or any of those sort of things, yep. I'm guessing. Shingles sounds yeah. sort of like a horrible sort of thing that it could be misdiagnosed a whole lot of ways because it, it affects so many different systems like nervous system, digestive system, cardiovascular system, like like all that stuff sounds awful. Yeah. Uh, not 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 a fan. I, I don't want it. <laughs> yeah, no, you don't want it. And, and the other the, the problem with it is that, there's no real test for them. Like they, they can't just take blood and work out, you know, this is ciguatoxin. Ah, you know? okay. I was going to so, ask that. So what happens there? There is like it's important for for people to know that this exists because basically when it's diagnosed, it's through the fact, you know, the history. So like, have you eaten fish? Yes, I have. What was it? Okay, ah, okay. so that, that's important to know. Yep. Because they can't do a blood test. Yeah, it's, impor- okay. it's important to know those symptoms. Like if if your doctor's savvy and onto it and seen it before, they'll put mm. it together. But just the fact that you know you've been eating tropical reef fish, you know, in the last twenty four to forty eight hours is is a big one for mm. actually diagnosing it. I want to ask some questions about um, you know what sort of the current who are some current researchers that are working on things around SIG. But before that, um, you know, what treatments have you come across? Um, in your research since contracting, you know, um, cigatera poisoning, what have you come across that's, you know, people are recommending to help treat, treat the condition? Uh, well, there's not a lot, unfortunately. Um, this is the thing. It's, it's basically comes down to a time and a waiting game and, uh, and it is a slow toxin to, um, to get rid of. So, I mean, there, there are a few drugs that they say. I mean, activated charcoal, you know, in the very early stages is is something that um, some people recommend um, to sort of 
cleanse the toxin, I think, from the gut predominantly. Um, there's a couple other little things that they, they do very early on, but they're expensive. And because diagnosis is often, um, it's not often diagnosed, um, there's huge problems there. Okay. So what have you what have you come across? I mean, uh, you've talked about a few of the home remedies because, like, officially the, the medical community, like your doctor can't prescribe you anything. So it's all kind of anecdotal type sort of hand-me-down stuff, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's right. So basically, they they treat the symptoms and um, and not the problem. And I mean, that's all really uh, they can do. So I did some research. I, I found that um, some researchers in the South Pacific um, found that a lot of islanders were using uh, a particular bush to treat the symptoms. It was called a, an octopus bush. Now, when they did the research, they found that. Um, this particular plant was high in uh, rosemaric acid, so I, I, you know, I, I did some research, and that's found really heavily in stuff like rosemary and basil. Believe it or not, so yeah, I've been eating a lot of uh, a lot of basil dishes, which is great. I don't know if it's doing anything at all, um, and because I'm in the first week, I'm sort of just playing that waiting game, and and yeah. sort of hopefully, or coming to the end of week one, I'm playing that waiting game, trying to. See if you can get rid of it. I mean, they say drink lots of water. I mean, it, it's got to the uh, toxins got to go out through the urine. So, you know, I just keep drinking lots of water. And you've you've took okay. So you you have these kind of these early um, type things like this activated charcoal. I guess that's to treat things in the digestive system. And then later on down, there's this rosemaric acid that comes in a few different things. What else is there sort of in the treatment front for cigarette poisoning? Yeah, uh, a lot. <laughs> I, I think there's a there's some Japanese researchers working on um, certain detox drugs, I guess, that um, that'll bind to it and get rid of it out of the system. But I think that's a long way away. I, I really can't find a lot of information on that. Okay, well, we'll try and link that up in the page, some of the research that, that we've been talking through and sort of what you've found. I think the best bet is, and what everyone's saying is, is prevention. Like you, once you get it, from what I can see, there's a lot of people out there that obviously they're desperate, so they're turning to homeopathic remedies, yeah. and that's fine, um, and that's great. But there's no there's no trend. Like there's mm. no trend of people getting better. There's no thing that you you take a magic pill and and bang, you you're good to go again. We interrupt this Noob Spiro interview <laughs> <laughs> to bring you some shout-outs and a news bulletin. G'day, guys. Quick public service announcement. Adreno has got their famous Easter sale on. Now, I love this as a true blue tight ass. This is when I do most of my shopping. So Adreno's got major savings across the board, all your Rob Allen gear, pretty much everything in store has got some sort of discount of it. I love it. That's when I, that's when I shop. Shrek, you love it because you're an even bigger tight ass. The best thing about it is, is they can save not only on the sale, but if you're checking out online, use the Noob Spiro. What is it? A coupon? What is it? It's just a code. There's it's a, code. a code spot in there. Just chuck a Noob Spiro, save twenty bucks on all purchases over two hundred dollars. And for all our European and US friends, 
you've really got to take advantage of the low Aussie dollar at the moment. Like, you've got big savings to make there with that low Aussie dollar. So get online, check them out, save yourself a bundle. Huge range of gear, all the best stuff, all the brands. Yeah, so www.spearfishing.com.au to enjoy that Easter sale and take advantage of some of those rock bottom prices and use the code NoobSpiro to save 20 bucks on all purchases over 200 bucks. Get in on it. Get in on it. So, so the treatment steps we've got is there's some early onset ones like digestive system stuff, activated charcoal, and there might be a few other ones in there you've sort of hinted at. Um, after that, there's rosemaric acid that can come in a few different forms, rosemary, basil, and uh, an octopus bush in the islands apparently. That yeah, right? that's right. And once again, that's, um, that's to treat symptoms, not to treat the actual... Yeah, yeah. Actual toxin itself, so. And you've said drink a lot of water because urine is how you pass the toxin. Is there any sort of no-go foods or drinks while you have ciguatera poisoning? Yeah, good question. Yeah, there is. So alcohol's definitely out. Like um, that brings about symptoms like severely. Um, seafood, all, all seafood, while you've got the the toxin, while, you, while you're showing symptoms is a no-go. Um, nuts are another one, and the really... oh no, you can't have nuts. No, you no, love no. nuts too. Oh, there you go. And um, but really, really uh, annoying ones: coffee. I, oh. oh, like I, uh, I had some coffee uh, in the morning, and um, just the pain, like you, the pain that that sort of it brought about in my legs. Like it felt like somebody had punched the inside of my legs. Like there's just just a numbness and a and a pain like a dead leg all through mm. all through my limbs and I was just like I just had to sit up, put my legs up and and just like just grin and bear it. And yeah, the problem mate. is like your, your regular painkillers are no good to you either. They bring about symptoms as well. Like you, just, you can't take them. So you just sort of got to grin and bear it. All right. Um, okay, so you've said prevention's kind of the cure, which <laughs> so don't don't get it in the first place. So like, are there some some practical steps that we can sort of recommend to our listeners and and others that might be reading from the blog? Um, what they can do to minimise their chances of contracting ciguatera poisoning? Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff. I got this off the University of Florida website, and they get a lot of ciguatera over there. So. Um, and like they say, like the, the obvious steps are to avoid eating tropical reef fish. And I, I mean, yeah, good luck with that. Like, yeah, that's there's just some happen. killer, killer species, you know, yeah. and, they, and they eat so well. Small portions is a way to go because you're ingesting like a lower, a lower dose of toxin if you do do it. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I did it over two nights, so which was stupid. So it would, would have still been in my system. Um, oh, okay. So like, so say you've got, you know, you've shot five or six trout or, or um, groper um, on a trip and, you you know, you filleted those fish, you've brought that meat home. So the way to do it is maybe carve off a, like a 100-gram portion or an ounce and yeah, then f- sort of 50 eat. to 100, they recommend. Okay. Yeah. All right. Nice. I, I nailed that, didn't I? Yeah. And then so you, you eat that and, um, and don't eat any fish for a couple of days and just make sure that it sort of tracks okay with your body and sort of monitor yourself if you are eating some of these at-risk species yeah yeah and they and they also recommend that you you mix up eating individual fish uh, um, okay so in my, in my case I, I had the same fish in the same bag and ate okay. the whole lot now perhaps if that was a, a small coral trout i mean i know that they are an at-risk species 
that maybe another individual fish didn't have those levels in it mm, okay. and I would have got away with it. But because I ate the same fish consecutive days, I got ill. Okay. So um, Next step? Uh, if possible, eat smaller fish, you know, less than two to three kilos. And once again, that, that is not, that, that is not foolproof. I mean, that that is not going to work every time because an individual an individual's uh, habitat they might be in an area where there's an outbreak of cigataria. Yeah. So it's, it's going to be uh, it's going to be picking that up more. And the lifespan of a fish and its growth rate. If it's a slow growing fish, it's mm. going to be older. It's going to have picked up more a lot more cigatoxin. Mm. Okay. So you, you really, I mean, that that's not going to safeguard you. It's a good step to do, but um, it's not going to protect you every time. And other things to avoid are the liver, the roe, the head, and the viscera of any any tropical fish because okay. that's where your high concentrations are. Ah, right. Just with that first point, you sort of said like, you know, like you've got five different species in a bag. I mean, another way to do it is to clearly mark out on the bag what species it is. Yeah. Uh, and, and you can even have fillet A, fillet yeah. B from groper 3.5 yeah. kilo or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that, I mean, that way, you know, at least in hindsight, what it was it gave you. Sig. Yeah, okay. Then you can hate on that fish. <laughs> <laughs> Never eat one yeah, again. Yeah, I know. All right, anything else for prevention? Yeah, avoid fish from areas that have undergone habitat disturbance. Um, that seems to be another one they recommend. Um, so, and, and this is. Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, like tropical storm, cyclone type yeah, stuff? Yeah, natural or, or man made. Okay. Yep. So, any sort of disturbance. Okay. Um, avoid fish from. Uh, oh, avoid fish harvested from a windward side of an oceanic island. Now I haven't done any research into that. I mean, that's this is coming from this paper from the Florida University, but yeah, apparently that makes a difference. Another thing is moray eels are really high in it; have been shown to be really, really high and sick. Okay. And uh, just avoid excessively large carnivorous fish, like Spanish mackerel, king mackerel, all and, the stuff that tastes good. Yeah, red bass. <laughs> I, know, I know that's a big yep. one here. And um, Chinaman. Yeah. All right. In in Florida, what species are they watch really watching out for? The the groper species over there, um, throughout the Bahamas. There's a few hot spots throughout the Bahamas. Um, so guys sort of, you know, going down that way on spearfishing trips, hmm. they they sort of at risk risk fairly well there. And I see a lot of big groper coming out of that area, you know. And I just sort of now just look at it and go, Oh no, no, no one's getting sick. And and hogfish. Hogfish is like they look awesome, and I know, like leading up, like I'm always looking at the guys over there in um, in the US at their like awesome catches of hogfish. Like yeah, I just really cool want to get one. Fish. Yeah, and I I don't think you get them online either. So I think they've got to be speared. Okay. Yeah, and your bigger your bigger hogfish, yeah, particularly down in the Bahamas, like a are, are a high risk fish. Cool. All right. I think in some of the Pacific Islands, they say if it's red, it's it's no good. Like that's kind of another guideline that some of these islands use. What what would you say about that? Yeah, I, I know I went to Vanuatu um, and did a little bit of spear fishing there, and the locals, particularly, I said I actually said to the resort, I said, "Oh, like if I get some fish, do you do you want it?" And uh, they said, "No." They said, "No," because the locals <laughs> know what to take, what not to take. They only ever take small fish yeah, of yeah. the at risk species, and they said we've. We've had it where guys have come in with fish and given it to like our workers, like local Nevan, yeah. and um, and they've gotten sick. So they said like their policy was they won't they don't take any fish um, unless it's caught by locals. So ah okay, and which is interesting. And I mean I, I saw another um, 
video of a lady in Fiji. Um, she was holidaying, an American woman. And, and um, same thing, uh, some Australian fishermen brought in some fish and they were like, <laughs> like they had a picture of the fish. They were stupid species, like <laughs> shit like barracuda, like yeah. out of the islands. And you're just thinking, my God, like, these guys must have had no uh-huh. idea. And she's still sick, that woman, like she's had it for five years or something like that. Oh, so no. she's in a bad way. But All right, I have one more question because I've heard – Another thing, um, I've heard from people that it's really only the the flesh that is closest to the outside of the fish, the skin, if you like, that, that holds a lot of the toxin in it. Uh, have you read or researched into that at all? Well, I've not seen any evidence that says that. Okay. So that like... Uh, that's just a misconception. You're not, you're not going to take the skin away and not get cigotoxin. Oh, I've heard like... Someone said, uh, and like by all means, you might be right. They've said like on the larger mackerel, when you, you know, like you cut your fillet off, and then when you're skinning it, just leave like an extra sort of maybe four or five mil of fillet on the skin because that's the part that will hold the, the most of the toxin. But uh, yeah, I mean, it could be that that could be right. I mean, hmm. there could be a concentration of the toxin there. But then, like earlier, you've sort of said avoid the the gut cavity and other places like that. So clearly, like it's just not sort of cut and dried. No, it's definitely not. No. Okay. Well, I, I think we've got heaps out of it, Turbo. You're obviously hoping to pass the Cigatera buck very soon. Yeah, mate. Yeah, yeah. Try, yeah, going to try and buck it. I mean, yeah, sort of already been a week off work, so I want to I want to get rid of it. Like, um, like I'm flat out, you know, cooking at night, let alone you know, going diving ever again at this stage. So, you know, I'm sure it'll pass. I'm sure like a lot of people, it's a month. Yeah. A month for them. It's a hard month. Um, but, yeah. So if, if any listeners have got their own SIG stories, we'd really love to hear them because we're going to do a, a fairly detailed write-up. And um, yeah, just just get in, get in touch with us at Shrek at New Sparrow or Turbo at New Sparrow and share your SIG story. Absolutely. Guys, if you're after more podcast action, go and check out our mate Jason Selms over at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. He talks all things hunting, shooting, and fishing. It's a great listen. He's getting plenty of downloads. He's big in Canada, South Africa, even Japan. It's fantastic. Jason talks to experts in the field on all things shooting, hunting, and fishing. It's really, really good listen. So go and check him out, australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. The Australian Hunting Podcast is the only hunting, shooting and fishing podcast radio show in Australia. With over 40,000 downloads per month, you are sure to find some information that can help you. If you love hunting, shooting, fishing and a little bit of politics, the Australian Hunting Podcast has you covered. To listen, check us out on iTunes and visit australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Okay, thanks for listening, guys. Um, yeah, we sort of did this just out of uh, we wanted to create a bit of awareness within the spearfishing community, um, and we just wanted to make sure that it's sort of in your mind next time you go out spearfishing, particularly when you know you are in tropical waters or you are hunting large pelagic fish. So next up for our next uh, guest on the show, we have Sean Hartley. Now, Sean's up in Cairns. He's an underwater hockey expert, and he's going to tell us all about the benefits of underwater hockey. Sounds mint. Yeah, no, it should be good. Uh, he sounds like a bit of a character. And following that, where our next 101 series is going to be about freediving courses and what I learnt doing a freediving course and whether or not you should spend the money on doing a course yourself. 
Spearfishing is all about self-improvement, but there are some things you can buy off the shelf that are going to help you with your diving. Penetrator blades are lighter and more reactive, and they've improved my diving, and I'm sure they're going to improve yours. Yeah, I've recently switched over to Penetrator Carbons, and it's made a big difference for me. I put much less energy in and get a much greater output, meaning that they are an effective fin. They're lightweight and comfortable, meaning that I spend more time on the bottom. So check out Penetrator Blades at penetrator.com or check out our new Noob Spear Edition Penetrator Blade at noobspear.com. Turbo, on to some shout outs. Who have you got? Yeah, mate. First and foremost, I want to say g'day to Dane Stevens, mate. Thanks for reaching out to us. And he wanted to know more about diving with Crocs. He's an American that's moved over to Timor. And, mate, he's got to dive with Crocs. He's got to get used to it. So I've put the question out to the Northern Freedivers Facebook page. Big thanks to those guys. Had a great response from them. Can't wait to put this month of Crocs together. It's going to be great. Yeah, cool. And um, we had another person reach out to us, Michelle Wharton. She's a scuba diver from the US. She listened to our interview on the Half Hour Intern, which uh, where Turbo and I sort of had the table switched on us and we were interviewed. We talked all about getting into spearfishing and our experience with it. Um, His ratings have never been lower, poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, other shout-outs. So on Facebook, Insta and Twitter, we had Jesse Hall, a truck-driving Nova Cashian who loves the show. Thanks for reaching out to us, Jesse. G'day to you. Yeah, another landlocked diver, isn't he? All right, so... No, no, well, yeah, isn't he out... He's out west, isn't he? Nova Cashian. Yeah, Newcastle. Yeah, but he's out west working. On the, in the trucks, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, no worries, mate. You're right. You, you read these emails? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So... so. <laughs> Anyway, so moving on, I would also like to say to another northerner, g'day to Maddie up in Weeper, mate. Hope you like the fins, mate, and stay safe up there. Um, Grant Laidlaw from Scotland. Scottish accent. I want to say good day to you, mate. We're going to have you on the show hopefully over the next couple of months. He's got some big news. Want to learn more about diving the North Sea. So that'll be bloody awesome. Can't wait to talk to Grant. Yeah, I want to hear that Scottish accent on the Noob Spiro oh. podcast. It'll be awesome. Right, last, latest two subscribers to the Noob Spiro uh, newsletter, The Floater. PJ Kotze from Johannesburg in South Africa. He's a filmmaker and lecturer. Um, some good, some great spearfishing videos from him as well, which we'll try and link up on our Facebook page. I've also got Julian Blair. Thanks for um, yeah, just tuning in and listening to the show, mate. Um, awesome. Awesome to hear from you guys. Absolutely. And that is me for shout-outs, mate. I've got one more. Uh, Corey Lowry from Arkansas. He spears in the local lakes over there and gets out to the ocean when he can. Thanks for reaching out and just telling us you're enjoying the show. Absolutely. Okay. Thanks for all your input, guys. We love getting emails. So you can email us, Shrek at Noobspiro or Turbo at Noobspiro. We love hearing from you. And give us plenty of questions because that helps us drive the show in the right direction. Yeah, awesome. Cheers for your input. So, guys, just a quick bolt-on to this um, Cigatera uh, episode. Turbo's actually discovered a few more things. So, Turbo, during your experience, you've come across a lot more information. Can you tell me about maybe the ketogenic diet and the paleo diet and also some of the other medicinal herbs you've found out about? Yeah, so uh, the ketogenic diet, mate, it's uh, it's really, really good for you. I've been sticking to that while I've been sick. And, and I mean, it's only anecdotal, and it's just something I sort of stuck to, but I definitely felt better when I was doing it. It, um, Yeah, it's pretty much like uh, 70% fat, 
20% protein, 10% carbohydrate diet. So just a low-carb diet, which I, I found has been pretty good for me. And um, once again, I've been sticking really clear of uh, coffee, alcohol, nuts. Drinking um, plenty of water. Drinking heaps of water, mate. And um, I tell you what, though, like uh, stuff like uh, Coke with the caffeine in it, any stimulant absolutely floored me. Oh, and okay. another one, surprisingly... I got a decaf coffee. I thought, yeah, you beauty, it's got no, it's, it's decaffeinated, it's going to be all right. Mate, I felt as almost as bad as I had regular coffee. And I can't explain that. Uh, maybe it's a placebo effect, I don't know. But, yeah, that, that really floored me as well. So. so you reckon, just even anecdotally, that the keto slash paleo type diet can help ease people through some of the severe symptoms with, with, um, with, with ciguatera poisoning? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I just feel better on it anyway with more energy and that kind of stuff. So right, cool. any little win's a win. And what about these medicinal herbs you've found? Yeah, so I did a bit of research and there's uh, some some research scientists have found like, a, and I think we talked about it earlier anyway, a bush sort of in the South Pacific called the octopus bush. Um, now, scientists did some research on that and they did find that it does have an effect on uh, improving symptoms of ciguatera. So it's, it is fair income. Um, it's usually found in offshore islands in the South Pacific, though for guys in Australia, um, if you hunt around and do a bit of research, I, I, on like horticultural society websites and stuff like that, I did find some uh, entries on those websites with GPS locations of the actual plant itself. Oh, sweet. Now, I found it as far south as, um, uh, where was it? It was Harvey Bay and Bundaberg, and they've got the GPS coordinates on there. So you could actually go and find that plant potentially and take it yourself. You'd want to do some really good ID, So, but if, if things would die, that's one way to do it. And I know right. other people with the problem are looking for the plant. All right, um, cool. Yeah, so, so that's something that I looked into. There's a bit of a support group for um on facebook isn't there yeah i forget what it's called it's called i think it's called cicatera support group actually we might link that up in the show notes just for guys because i mean i'd imagine people when they do experience this problem although it's probably not super common like you you do want to know somewhere where you can go and have some questions answered to be honest don't don't dwell on it though because i think the worst thing is there is some absolute horror stories out there you know, and and most likely you're going to be one of the people that gets over it in six months or less than six months. Yeah, man. So um, yeah, yeah. When everything's not working and you've got chronic fatigue and you feel like absolute shit, yeah, <laughs> don't get too bogged down in those horror right. stories, mate. Okay, so we've got the paleo slash keto diet that that may or may not help, um, but you found it has helped for you. We've got the jelly bush herbs, which you can the octopus bush. Octopus, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Thanks man. for listening. Okay, octopus bush. Um, drugs. Are there any drugs that can potentially help? Yeah, yeah. So I was originally did some research and I found a drug called mannitol, and it's been used in the US. Um, to some degree, it has worked. However. Tests have been done on it where they've they've used um, saline and and this is this is injected intravenously um, this drug but then they did some tests where they used saline and they sort of found that there was no difference between the two so they've sort of scrapped that because I took that research to my to my doctor and uh, yeah they they sort of said well no it's it's not actually going to do anything but however I pushed the um, I, I pushed it a bit and I, I said, look, I really want to see if there is some sort of drug out there that'll that'll do me some good. And uh, there is. So 
Just one moment. The one that I got prescribed was called pregabalin. Now, that definitely has an effect. Like, on the, it's, it's symptomatic sort of relief, but pregabalin definitely did work for me. Okay. Um, and so do people have to see a toxicologist to get that or can they just get it through their GP? Uh, yeah, get it through your GP, I believe. Um, so chances... sorry, GP's Aussie slang for general practitioner, which is just your normal run-of-the-mill doctor. Yeah, and there is another drug or is it, there's a couple, okay? There's uh, another one called gabapentin. So um, apparently, like, oh, I don't know about that drug. Oh, it wasn't prescribed to me, but it, it has shown that it, it can have some sort of effect. And the other one is, and you're going to have to excuse my pronunciation of this, but amitriptyline. amitriptyline. Ah. Now, apparently, you know, that has shown some improvement. Um, so, yeah, check check those out. So it's gabapentin, amitriptyline, and pregabalin. So, you know, consult your doctor and, and push the question and see if these drugs can have any effect for you because any reliefs, you know, Again, we'll, welcome. Again, we'll try and link up all those technical names in the show notes um, maybe so people can write them down and take them into the doctor if they do experience psychotherapy. Yeah, absolutely. And just remember, guys, it, it's not a virus and it's not a bacteria. You don't develop an immunity to this. So, in fact, you actually become can become more sensitive yeah. and it can bring it on later in life so just be really careful when eating reef fish after you have this thanks for listening to today's show make sure to leave us a review on itunes or stitcher and to learn more about becoming a better spiro visit us at noobspiro.com and subscribe to our newsletter